So by having that intention, that person will still receive the full reward. If they would, if they could fast, they would. But if they can't, then by not fasting, they still get the reward because of their intention. Inshallah, just things into perspective. These are the best days of the year. The Prophet taught us that the best 10 days of the year as it relates to doing good deeds are the first 10 days of the Hijjah, which we are in now, the ninth being Arafah, and then day 10 being the day was commonly known as it's that that's kind of the the main day that people either after Eid prayer go and sacrifice an animal themselves or they may uh, pay for someone else to do it on their behalf that's kind of the the main day as it relates to that typically um, so that is the last of the the 10 days and just like we think of the last 10 nights of Ramadan as this really special opportunity because of the best night of the year which is Laylatul Qadr uh, these are the best 10 days uh, and that's connected to Arafah being the best day of the year, which will be Friday, inshallah. So we ask Allah to accept all of our efforts and we ask Allah to overlook any. In Naka'anta Tawab al Rahim, for Hadith 3, um, I'll go through some of it, inshallah. And uh, along the way, of course, if anyone has any thoughts, any reflections, any questions for clarification, then. Um, you know, feel free to, to raise a hand and we do uh, welcome any thoughts that anybody has. I just want to take a quick glance and, okay. Okay, so it goes until page 37. So we definitely won't be going through all that today. Okay, so I'll start with the uh, hadith. And then we, if we want, I think it, it could be, it would be a fruitful exercise if we connected Arafah these 10 days to the hadith, and if anyone has any reflections in that regard specifically, I think that would be really beneficial for all of us, inshallah. Okay, hadith three, the title of it, fitna of the heart. Fitna meaning trial, test. Fitnas, so trials, will be presented. Any heart that absorbs them will have a black dot left in it, and any heart that rejects them will have a white dot left in it. In the end, there will be two types of hearts left, one white like a smooth and solid stone with with no fitna, able to harm it as long as the heavens and earth endure, and another black and turbid like an overturned vessel that does not abide by virtue or reject evil, except what agrees with its desire-soaked heart. Reported by Muslim. So I'll go through a little bit of commentary, and right off the bat, you know, we can reflect a little and see how it can connect to Arafah, because fasting that one day, or at least having the intention sincerely to fast that one day, the result is that your sins are forgiven for the last year as well as the coming year. So it's uh, it's a good opportunity to basically run the heart through a spin cycle and that one day the impact of it is over two years and potentially, esoterically, potentially a lifetime. Uh, in terms of the commentary, the first hadith in this book taught us that the heart is the most important part of our body and the engine of human change, while the second hadith informed us that it is the most unstable part of our body. These are the primary states and qualities of the heart, qualities created in the heart, the type of lives we choose to live. The condition of our hearts is not solely based on their nature, but also what we let into our lives. The choices we make have a significant role in shaping our hearts and determining their health. We don't only inherit our hearts, we also create them. So this can tie in with the nature versus nurture argument. There's a time and a place for both essentially. What is a fitna? Fitna, the plural being fitan, in the Arabic language, means test and trial. 
The fitna of a metal, like gold or silver, is to place it in the fire of a furnace to purify it and melt away its impurities. The fitna humans face is the test is the test and trial they face, either through afflictions, what one hates, or bounties, what one loves. Both of these types of trials reveal the true consequences. So fitna could also mean ordeal, temptation, misguidance, sin, disbelief, killings, torture, and so on. Consult Lisan al-Arab and other Arabic dictionaries for more. Fitna could be big or small, personal or public. The, follow, the following exchange between the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, may Allah be pleased with them, shows them discussing different types of fitnas. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu an said, we were sitting with Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, and he asked, who among you remembers what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said about the fitna? I said, I, exactly as he said it. He said, you are bold. I said, the fitna of the man in his family, wealth, children, and neighbor is expiated by salah, which is prayer, fasting, sadaqah, which is charity, and commanding good and forbidding evil. He said, this is not the one I was referring to, but the fitna that moves like the waves of the sea. He said, you will not be harmed by it, O prince of the believers, which is how Amir al-Mu'minin is translated here, for there is a closed door between you and it. He said, does it get broken or opened? He said, broken. He said, then it will be never, then it will never be closed. We asked, did Umar know what the door was? He said, yes, as he knew that night follows day. I relate, him, I relate to him a hadith that is clear and without error. We were in awe to ask Hudayfa, so we asked Masruq to ask him. So he did, and he said, the door is Umar. The personal fitna is the one we face in our families and wealth. These could act as minor distractions from Allah's path or serious diversions that lead us away from Allah because of the intense love we have for them. As the hadith explains, the minor sins caused by this fitna are forgiven through the good acts we do. When this type of fitna leads to major infractions and violations, however, repentance and greater good and greater good great will be needed. Is that a typo? Repentance and greater good will be needed. There is a second type of fitna that Umar radiallahu an described as the waves of the sea. Great, public, continued agitation and destruction. These are the type of fitnas that engulf a society or spread globally. They leave behind a trail of moral and physical devastation. Fitna can also be divided into two types. The first is fitna in belief and knowledge, ilm, and this is called the fitna of shubuhat, or doubts and, how do you say that, specious, specious beliefs. The second type of fitna is in our behavior. This is called the fitna of shahawat, the temptations of this life and its attractions. Of the two, the fitna in belief is the more serious one. Shahawat, like unlawful money and women or men, steal us away from Allah, but we still have the belief that what we are doing is wrong, and this may prompt us to repent later. The fitna of shubuhat, such as believing that alcohol and adultery are allowed, deprive the Muslim from the possibility of repentance because they can't recognize the mistakes in their lives anymore. The Quran and Sunnah speak profusely about fitnas and warn us of them. Fitna has the power to alter our faith and remove it completely. Fitna can be very confused the more you sink. And as we approach the Day of Judgment, fitna will only increase in number and grow in magnitude. The Prophet ﷺ said, The hour shall not come to pass until ilm, knowledge, becomes scarce. Earthquakes increase, time shrinks, fitan, or trials, become prevalent. 
Harj, is that with the ha or ha? Uh, what's in the Arabic with the ha? Okay, Harj increases and it is killings, killings, and until wealth increases and becomes abundant. Thank you guys, by the way. He also said, and I'll, I'll uh, bookmark it at the end of this section. He also, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said, hasten with your actions before the arrival of fitan, like pieces of the dark night. One would be a believer in the morning and a disbeliever at night, or a believer at night and a disbeliever in the morning, selling his religion for worldly gains. Fitna could have such a devastating effect that its pull and the confusion it creates can change one so drastically in one single day. The hadith also reminds us of the fragility and instability of the heart in the face of fitna. So definitely a lot going on there. Uh, there can be ways of you know, reflecting on and tying it in with, with Arafah. It's like this really awesome opportunity to basically hit the reset button um, with Allah and, and it, it's uh, a great opportunity to basically purify any of those. I mean, even if someone is really good about cleaning their home, cleaning their car, there still has to be routine maintenance. There still has to be some kind of polishing. If you have an amazing coffee table, and you're really busy for a couple of weeks, naturally it's going to collect dust. I mean, you're not doing anything wrong. Everything else may be clean. That's just the nature of life. So um, we all benefit from if it's if the heart is dirty, then it's an opportunity to clean it. And if it's relatively clean, it's an opportunity to polish it. There's always some kind of benefits that come from it, inshallah. Any thoughts either regarding Arafah or the Hijjah um, or this Hadith? Either separately in connection, it's uh, it's flexible either way. Go ahead. I have a question. I don't think I'm fully connected to Arafah, but just uh, about Fitna mm -hmm. and Shahwat. And just like trying to figure out as a person, like, what is Shahwat? How can I, like, recognize when I'm, like, falling into it? Um, and also, because, you know, like, there's, like, a lot of gray lines, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, if you want to think about, like, morality and society and how much it's changed throughout the years and mm -hmm. how much we accept now versus how much we accept where is Islam or try to justify a lot of things in Islam. Mm -hmm. So where is it, where is the line and, and it, it, people who justify it with Islam, is that an example of, you know, just like Maybe the first one for Shubuhat? Because the, the distinction was... The oh, yeah, yeah, Shubuhat. Right, so Shubuhat is more foundational yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Shahawat is more... Sorry, I meant that Shubuhat. Yeah. So how, how can one, like, protect themselves from, like, justifying, mm -hmm. you know, falling into it? Not just, like, aimlessly falling into it, but just justifying it. I think mm -hmm. that's more scary because... There's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Because in one example, if someone, uh, like, it is of many, it is a big struggle for a lot of uh, folks within uh, the Muslim community and, and without as well. Uh, there's a difference between someone recognizing its status from an Islamic legal perspective. There's a difference between recognizing that I know that this is not necessarily allowed in Islam, but this addiction has got a hold of me. For example, there's a difference between that and another approach, which is more foundational, which is tied in more with the shubuhat, that I'm going to completely rationalize it and I'm going to completely justify it with no, with no concern. Even if both individuals may be drinking wine, for example, one is struggling with it. There's at least some kind of wrestling match going on. And for the other person, it's completely justified. So from their perspective, it's like, hey, this is, why would I ever do 
you know, Tova, why would I ever ask Allah for forgiveness for something if there's nothing wrong with it or nothing to seek forgiveness for? Um, so one is more foundational, more at the core, and then the other one still has its time and its place, but technically speaking, that would be a better position to be in if someone, it's not a justification, but if someone is doing something that's not allowed in Islam and they know that, but they're struggling with it, that's one thing. Um, so were you asking how to avoid the, the shubuhat, which is like the foundational doubts? I guess or... like, the moral compass is so foggy mm -hmm. sometimes, just because of the society we're raised in, or just because <clears throat> we'll do things. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we make sure we're not justifying things that we're not mm -hmm. supposed to be doing? Or, you know, you know, I don't know. I'll give you an example, like, uh, weed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's other things, too. There's, like, you know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, things like that too. But like, I'll things, things like what? What was the other homosexuality. thing? Homosexuality. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, uh, <clears throat> like, I've heard people say, okay, for the example of weed, like, oh, it's you know medicational and it's you plan. know it's a plan. Mm -hmm. It's like smoking cigarettes and there's mm -hmm. no eye about it. Mm -hmm. I've heard mm -hmm. that, like, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But like, it alters your mind. You know, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, to piggyback on what you said, yeah. like nowadays we always hear, oh, well. Don't judge me. You're judging me, mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. If like if somebody just says like, "Hey, this is not, mm -hmm. not, that's not okay." So mm -hmm. how do we, I guess, approach that? Because now nowadays I feel like a lot of people are more defensive mm -hmm. in general. So. Very good question. So we yeah. can we can uh, try to unpack them one at a time. Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah. When someone says that Allah hasn't been mentioned, like weed in specific. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it fall under the intoxicant? Right. Says intoxicant. Yeah. 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 And and so that that's actually a, a very a modern day uh, constant and even it's become a classic example that a lot of scholars mention these days. That uh, especially when if someone if a scholar is trying to explain from regarding Islamic law uh, the concept of qiyas, which is analogy. And then weed is like one of the first examples typically given. Okay, does the Quran say that you can't smoke marijuana specifically by name? No. However, and there are conditions for qiyas, for uh, for analogy. Is it valid or is it invalid? Right. So how do you navigate that? That's kind of uh, a whole discussion from a legal standpoint. But regarding that specific example, that's exactly what it ties in with what you said that even it doesn't have to mention it specifically by name because the conditions okay why is alcohol forbidden because it intoxicates because it harms your intellect because when you're intoxicated you may do regrettable things you may cause harm to yourself and others conceptually speaking those the that would apply to other things as well okay crack cocaine isn't mentioned in the quran i mean <laughs> hey mom <laughs> You can't tell me not to. Where's the ayah? What's up now? <laughs> flying, flying slipper. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work, right? Because that applies, like you said, to to any other intoxicant. It's not limited to just liquor. It applies to everything else. So in, in connection with what Noel mentioned, I think there are two main factors. One is knowledge regarding that subject. And then perhaps more importantly, two, sincerity in connection with processing that knowledge so if someone if maybe they don't know and then they learn 
right? That, oh, so it would still fall under the category of intoxicants. This, is, this discussion is not in connection with anything medicinal. Anything medicinal, whether it's marijuana or otherwise, again, sincerity is a huge factor. You can't play games with God. Um, but there, if someone is in a situation where there is a legitimate um, medical need, then that's a different discussion. We're talking about recreational use, which is um, a different category. Uh, so there, there's the knowledge factor and then the sincerity factor. So if they genuinely don't know and they're sincere and then they learn, then chances are they'll be willing to make adjustments because they're sincere. But if someone, if they already know, or maybe if they gain the knowledge, but if they already have their mind made up that, no, this is something that I want to do, even then there's a, like, at least I'm not, I'm not saying for anyone to do it, but there's a difference if someone is doing it, knowing that this is wrong, you know, maybe one day I'll change my ways. For example, recognizing like, this is a struggle, it's wrong, but it's, it's difficult to walk away from, for example, that's very different than completely justifying it hundred percent. Oh, it's completely okay. And then you hear all the other stuff. Oh, you know, it's from the earth and this and that. And okay. Well, if you get it from grapes and grapes came from the earth and oh but you know Allah says that there's wine in Jannah so then why would it be forbidden here and so people that's coming that's coming from a lack of a lack of knowledge and understanding um, because if you even do a basic level of sincere research or talk to the right people then it's it's a pretty simple conclusion that you arrive to now if someone is struggling with with addiction, that's a separate sort of thing. Like they know they want to quit. It's really hard back and forth. It's really difficult. May Allah make it easy for them and anyone struggling with that. But at least they're not justifying it, right? It's it's more shahawat than shuhuhat. So for them, it's more, okay, maybe there can be a process for rehab, for AA meetings, for therapy, for whatever that needs to happen. Um, and then in connection with what you had mentioned was... Oh, how, how people can be overly sensitive and, and the whole like, you know, don't um, don't judge me statement may come about. I think a, a lot of that in general, there's always a need to like handle with care, right? To just treat things delicately and to now if, if a person, if they know that and a lot of it depends on what is the relationship between you and that person, right? If it's someone's sibling and they're like, one or two years apart, that's a big difference between someone that they just met 15 minutes ago, right? So there, there's a time and a place for that, um, for whether it's offering advice or, you know, at times maybe offering correction, but it, in general, it has to be done with a lot of wisdom and a lot of uh, compassion and, and kindness with solutions in mind. Because uh, some people, they like, there's the attack and then the person may get defensive so you, there can be extremes on both sides. If someone is too harsh in their approach, that's going to push people away. But let's say someone is like extremely kind and there's so much wisdom and, and like they're doing everything right on their end. And then if the other person, they still respond in that way. One example, if a parent, if they catch their kid, whatever, they're 16, smoking weed in their room, thinking that no one is going to smell it, right? <laughs> so it has to go down the hallway and a parent goes in the room and they're sitting there, you know, 
in the act. <laughs> and if their parent is like, what are you doing? And if they try to respond, don't judge me. It's kind of like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. What are the dynamics here? What is, what is <laughs> the slipper flies? Um, so they're, they're, yeah, she, she did the motion. She went like, oh, like, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> what did the five fingers say to the face? Uh, so joking. Um, so in, in, in that now, no, to clarify, no one is saying that any parent should respond in that way by hitting their kid. We're not saying that we're not saying that they should actually, you know, throw anything at them that, you know, that's in, in jest and humor, um, because behind, behind addiction is typically pain, right? Behind substance abuse is typically a really significant void. Um, so would it be valid in that case, you know, for the, uh, for the, the teenager to respond, uh, whether it's with weed or alcohol or cocaine or I mean if they have a line of cocaine in front of them and and their parent walks in don't judge me and they just use it or, like have some respect that that's really not going to fly um so there 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 do need to be uh parameters and boundaries um I don't know do you get do you have any thoughts do you want to clarify any more Because sometimes there could be. It's interesting because, like, even when, like, I, I mean, I don't, I have not in these situations, but I see it at the mm -hmm. third party where I like people will give good advice and it comes from a good approach, but then someone still, and then mm -hmm. how would we do? Like, what do we do after that? With other people, generally, there's only so much that you can do. I mean, you can try to encourage. You can try with wisdom, right? With caution. So. Because I say that because if someone, um, if they think to themselves, I'll give an example. If someone comes to uh, the masjid, right, and say it's a guy who just became Muslim like two weeks before that, and he shows up and he has earrings and a gold chain and his shirt's made out of silk, whatever. You apply like 10 different things and soft kind. But um, so let's just say there are these different visible issues. In that sit, and he has like, you know, whatever, purple hair, that that image, right? And he has tattoos, and so if he shows up to the masjid, personally, I wouldn't say anything to him about any of those issues. I wouldn't say anything about earrings. I wouldn't say anything about purple hair. I wouldn't say anything about the gold necklace or the silk shirt or tattoos. I wouldn't say anything about that. I don't know them. I don't know what they're going through. And if I do go and jump on their case and correct this and correct that, chances are it's going to make things worse. And chances are he may never go to the masjid again or because they just became Muslim. And instead of focusing on these external things, different things have their discussion and time and place and how, how do we understand you know, these different things. But in that moment, it would be a mistake if I approached him and, hey, Saigon brother, you need to change this and this and this and that and that and that. What if what if they converted two weeks before? And I don't know that. And the reason why they're at the masjid is because earlier that day they got kicked out of their house. Their family disowned them and they lost their job. And 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 I mean, at that point, is it really a priority uh, regarding 
these other things. No, right? So the heart always comes first and it's always, that's why it depends on the dynamic. It's always worth starting with like, how are you getting to know them? Like a very simple litmus test is like, do you even know their name? Do you know their middle name? Do you know their circumstances? Do Because if they're really going through a lot, I mean, it, it's, it's heavy and I, I hate giving this example, but I remember one time, one brother, he came uh, before, I think it was before Aisha, and he said, can you please make du'a after, this was a couple years ago, can you please make du'a uh, after prayer um, for, for my friend because earlier today, like his child passed away or something. Like it was extremely heavy. And so seeing the brother, I would have had no idea, but his friend was telling me on his behalf, you know, can you make that dot? So after prayer, the community made dot for him and his family and what have you. I mean, if you take something so, so heavy and let's say that person, um, would you mind? Uh, if that person, if they if they show up to the masjid, and if that's weighing on their heart, and if they just became Muslim, like they probably have no idea regarding any discussion regarding any of these things. But if that's what they're struggling, imagine if you're in their shoes, and then someone they show up and like they're nitpicking. Basically, um, it would it would cause a lot of harm. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another example. One time, there was a a sister who went to a masjid and uh, so she shows up with no scarf and she walks in and there was uh, an uncle basically who saw her and goes to her and basically starts correcting her and now does he have good intentions sure but he's also doing a lot of damage right so good intentions it's not an excuse to cause harm the good intentions have to be coupled with wisdom and an appropriate action so he's like you know, giving her a hard time regarding that. And then another person happened to be passing by and saw what was happening. So basically intervened and offered help. Sonicum sister, can I help you? And she said, yeah, I'm not really a practicing Muslim, but I just found out that my mom who lives on the other side of the world, that she just passed away. And I didn't know what to do or where to go other than the masjid. As soon as she explained that, then the first guy's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And it's like, yeah, but you kind of have, that's why you have to be so careful to get to know the person first and then to go from there. Do you want to share anything? Oh, I couldn't tell if you were. I was dressing there, yeah. Okay. Can I jump off that and say, like, what if you do know the person mm -hmm. and you're not sure because, like, people get sensitive, how to give advice when they are very clearly doing something wrong? Mm-hmm. Or they're maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't know what an example. Like maybe they're praying wrong, you know, something very necessary, like mm -hmm. very like part of the five pillars or whatever. Like how do you like if I don't give advice, is that wrong? Because I don't want to yeah. like hurt the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. there's so so many examples that I don't want to give them because I don't wanna whatever. Mm -hmm. like, but you know what I mean? I know I, I know that one hadith where it's kind of a like Something, like, right, something. right. If you see something it. wrong, change it with your yeah. hand. If not, then with your tongue. And if not, then hit it in your heart. And that's the weakest, yeah. like, form of iman in that, in that context. It's tricky. <laughs> so context is really needed in that, in connection with the hadith, because even the Prophet himself, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he didn't always change something with his hand. And if he didn't, 
it would have resulted in more harm. Like in Mecca, when you have Muslims, like, be, for example, uh, Sumeya, right, the first martyr in Islam, uh, she's tortured and killed. And her son, Ammar ibn Yasir, like, through it, uh, his mother's killed. Was his father also killed? Uh, Yasser, I think so. Um, so my my point is like when when the prophet one time he was he was passing by and there's still this tiny minority in Mecca. The 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 context was such that what what he offered them to hold on to to persevere. You could say be patient, really to persevere. Uh, because all of you are promised Jannah. Technically speaking, in that specific example, the Prophet, he he didn't change it with his hand because he couldn't. Had he gone and changed it with his hand or responded in a certain way, then there would have been backlash and things would have gotten worse. And there, So regarding the hadith, it's not necessarily all... You can't always change something with your hand. And you can't always change something with your words. So... If someone, let's say someone is um, Sayyidina Umar, right? He was, he was mentioned. When he's Khalifa and he has the power and authority and capability to make certain changes with his hand, meaning actions, then for a number of different things, he can. Now, if not Sayyidina Umar, if someone else had that type of authority and they can change it with their hand, but they don't, can they change it with their words? They can, but they don't, but they at least hate it in their heart. And that ties in with like, well, that's the weakest form of Iman. Because for that person, they can change it with their hand. They can change it with their voice, but they don't. It's like, well, there's some sort of weakness going on there. Um, but you look at Sayyidina Umar, he could change certain things. So when he could, he did. So that that has to, and even the concept of Al-Amr bil Ma'roof and Nahi al-Munkar, you know, Encouraging what's right, discouraging what's wrong. One second. It, it always, there are conditions for it. Like someone cannot go and correct someone if they're regarding prayer, for example. If that other person, there, there are many examples in connection with prayer and otherwise, you can't, you cannot correct them. If what they're doing is fine, it's just coming from a different school of thought, for example. That's what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. what if because, uh, when Muslims people are praying at the Muslim, they can't. And if it's air faulty, you couldn't try to correct us. And we tried to tell her that we were praying correctly, just mm -hmm. in school thought. But she wasn't listening, she wasn't hearing it all. She just tried to act like she was better than us, superior, and sick air superiority complex. Which exists. <laughs> so that's where, going back to knowledge and sincerity, that's where, in that person's case, there should be. Like, a lot of people, they're so quick to like become haram police, or they're so quick to correct people and it's almost like they're just you know looking forward to it almost and they're so quick to jump on people and correct them and this and like yeah so no no you're you're not you're not talking about different valid opinions you're talking about like what if there's something that's just like very clear it's um yeah. <laughs> outside of yeah in the middle of prayer yeah, 
because the, the, yeah, and your relationship, because like the method in which you correct them can backfire, but if you can correct, it's obviously better to correct. Um, if you're not sure, it's always like, like it's always best to, to, to discuss with like people who also know the same person and who also have good intentions, not just anybody, right? Like you want to discuss with somebody who you trust, like, hey, how do we help so and so? you know, adjudicate, like fix the situation or help them get back on track. Like there's the example of um, the grandsons of the Prophet Um Hassan Hussein, who like they were what they were next to this much they were young kids. They were they were they were very young. They were next to this older man who was making the rules and who he was making the rules incorrectly. And instead of correcting the man, um, I forget which one of them turns to the other one and says, hey, um, I forgot how to make wudu, can you teach me? And out loud, one of them is teaching the other how to make wudu, both of them on the same page, knowing that the man next to them is learning. And after they finish, the man next to them says, thank you, I had forgotten how to make wudu. You know? So, like, that's that's a gentle way of, um, there, 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 there's ways to, to go about helping people that can relieve them of shame. The, Someone said that um, to embarrass someone publicly is worse than killing them, right? So you don't want to you don't want to shame someone publicly. Now, obviously, again, heavily dependent on the situation because yeah. are they harming themselves and themselves alone, or are they harming others? If they're harming others, then the, the safety of others is priority over their public shame or whatever. Um, but anyway, it's yeah, it's so it's so heavily dependent. So that's why, like, yeah, the, the advice is always like talk to people who know the situation, talk to people of knowledge who can who may know this person who can help you give advice. Because it's like it's so easy to do the wrong thing, but also from what I forget, I'm not I'm like I know that you're also supposed to help the person, right? And I can't remember. There's like a multitude of examples of like your your like the like. How you're supposed to help, like you, if you see a friend not doing something, then like you're or, or doing something incorrectly, then you're supposed to do your best to help, obviously. But then you also protect yourself as well and make sure you don't, like, then there's no how much you feel yourself. I'm going off on of tangents, but yeah. Um, yeah mm -hmm. So it's like there, the, there's a time to give advice yeah. and a way to give advice, and there's a time and a way to receive advice. Yeah. Then and then the, the details just yeah, are heavily there's dependent. Also the opposite. Yeah. There's also the opposite. Because if you, can, if you give advice and you don't know what you're talking about, you can do literal damage. Mm -hmm. Because there's, the, there's also the example, last one I'll say, that is the example of the three companions, the three people, or three companions who were traveling. One of them hit his head and injured his head. Mm -hmm. And he needed to, and then he needed to make also, right? Or, mm -hmm. I, can't, I think also, yeah. he, to make, he needed yeah. to make also. And and then the two, and he asked, so he asked the two of them, he's like, I have this head injury, I need to make also, what do you guys think? And they're like, we don't see an excuse for you. So he made also infected, died. Um, so when they, when they went back to the prophet, the prophet was angry with them. He, and he said, they killed him, they killed him, they killed him. He was angry. Um, and he said it would, better, it would have been better for them to say, I don't know, right? They don't know. To say I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it would have been there, sufficient for him to wipe over the bandage. Yeah, it would have been sufficient yeah. for him to simply wipe instead of dunking water. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's super contextual. It's like that's why it's like if you, if it's something it's something very serious, ask people of knowledge and then ask people around you who know 
um, because unless you're super wise, <laughs> it's tough. Like, like there's there's a there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Like you can be you can have knowledge and zero wisdom as to how to apply the knowledge, and you can have very little knowledge but do a lot more benefit benefit for society if you have if you have wisdom. Um, and like wisdom is a gift you want most of them. So it's like either you have it or you don't. You can't just Sometimes I just say to give them a lot because it's like there's those the there's the in the song um the way of the dinosaur or I know there are different places that say wa zinahu hukman wa ilma like Sayyidina Yusuf and I think Prophet Musa. But like when some in the story the Dawood and then when in the follow-up description, so actually, we should know this yeah. better. But like, he immediately described when he was talking about Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talking about Sayyidina Dawood, and then when he switches to when he, when he starts talking about Sayyidina Sulaiman, he emphasizes that. Fatha al Naha Sulaiman. No, not that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, story where he with the with the two with the babies. The judgment. Yeah. Or the sheep, maybe. It might have been that, but anyway, he's like he emphasized that he that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala Allah emphasized that he gave Sulaiman. Uh, wisdom, mm -hmm. like more wisdom than his dad. Not to say his dad was not wisdom, but he, he gave his maybe in that specific instance, maybe in general. But like, there was yeah, a minimum. There was an instance where he had wisdom well, that his dad did not have. So yeah, so maybe you have wisdom in certain areas, but it's not so important. And there, there's the example of the Prophet Dawood. He judged that so someone had sheep and someone had crops. Was it? And the, the sheep ate the crops. So then, initially, the ruling from Prophet Dawood, who was a prophet and a king, and also was a judge in in some cases. Uh, so he, the the ruling that he issued was that for the owner of the sheep to give the sheep, because they ate the crops, so to give them to the the owner of the crops. And then after uh, that ruling was given, then I think Prophet Suleiman. He asked, like, what was, I don't know if he was outside, I forget the details, but he basically offered a different opinion that what if the owner of the sheep loaned the sheep to the owner of the crops so that he so they could benefit from the milk and from the, the wool in the meantime until the crops grow back to where they were. Uh, and so so Allah praises the wisdom of Sulaiman in that uh in that story so it's like there are these general ideas right giving advice and taking advice and then how to navigate and negotiate in between is the intention is always how to do so with mercy with rahmah classic example a man goes in the master of the prophet and starts peeing in the back i mean understandably the sahaba wanted to you know jump the guy basically so interest it's very interesting how the prophet handled different situations so the prophet he does say something, right? He does approach the man, and, and uh, so Sahaba wanted to basically jump on him, and the Prophet said, no, let him finish. And then after he finishes, go and pour water. He went and spoke to the man, and he said, you know, this is basically the house of Allah. It's a masjid. We don't do that here in the masjid. We remember Allah. We pray. We read Quran. So he basically said, we don't do that here. This is what we do here. And uh, the man, he, and you can imagine the Prophet smiling while saying this, and communicating with him in a kind way so he's offering a correction but he's doing it very gently with a lot of kindness um, so the 
the man, like he sees that everyone else is angry at him, but the prophet is like smiling and talking to him so nicely. And he knew that he was the prophet. Mind you, the man is Muslim. He just, he, he didn't know. Honest mistake. It was a really bad mistake, but it wasn't intentional. So the, the prophet corrects him and the, the man here responds like, may Allah have mercy on me and Muhammad and no one else. Like, forget you guys. And then the prophet responds, you know, why take something vast in Allah's mercy and make it narrow? So within that, it's very interesting. Whenever the prophet took the, the time to correct someone, it's amazing that you you find them walking away unharmed, unscathed. The man, he didn't go and like break the person down and destroy them emotionally. And then, you know, this is, and he didn't justify that this is the house of Allah. Therefore, I can, you know, unleash the dragon on you. The way he did it was uh, done with so much care and wisdom and mercy that the man walked away like, okay, like unharmed, unscathed. And, um, it's so there, there is a time and a place for sure. It's just how do you go about that? Uh, along with these, go ahead. Um, just a little bit off that specific topic, but could we explain a little bit? Um, this hadith about Umar radiallahu anhu being the door mm -hmm. um, is on page 23. Yeah, so Sayyidina Omar, um, he was. The, the understanding of it, and historically this is what happened, he was, he himself was basically a barrier between the Muslims and um, a lot of internal tribulation, a lot of fitan, which is the plural of fitna. And so in terms of was the door opened or broken, and it was broken, so the interpretation from that is that he would be killed. So he wouldn't die a natural death, but he would be killed. So the door would be broken. And that is what happened with Sayyidina Umar. The way that he died was that he was killed. And after he was killed, you look at historically, even over the next few decades, um, there, there was, when you look at the next Khalifa, when Sayyidina Uthman, when he becomes the third Caliph, the third Khalifa, uh, and you look at how things unfolded when he's the leader of the Muslims and how there ends up being this siege on his home in Medina and the, the chaos that occurred and then how he was killed. Um, and then that carried on, you know, even into the, the time of Sayyidina Ali and you have this issue of Khawarij and, and, and he was killed as well, actually in Ramadan. Uh, so Sayyidina Omar himself, he was basically, uh, a barrier and then that door was broken which was him being killed and then after that there there was a lot of uh, internal rebellion and and strife and so the uh, metaphor is when the door is broken all the water is right the waves of the sea of the sea mm -hmm. so that being like like non-stop just one wave after another um so basically after uh the killing of Sayyidina Umar, then there there have been uh, continuous waves essentially so good question though any other comments or questions that anyone that anyone has okay we can continue maybe a little bit more uh we're on page 25 
presents us choice is a straw that joins previous straws in creating the completed mat. This imagery helps us to understand that we are recreating our hearts with our decisions. We are weaving the fabric of our heart from the threads of each single belief and act we accept or reject. The process is not realized that we are building a splendid city of Iman in our hearts or allowing a wasteland of disbelief and rebellion. But each step we take in life is one step closer to either of these two eventualities. Um, I, briefly, before we move on, um, I think it was mentioned like, well, what if, like, will you be held accountable if you don't, correct? A lot of that, again, is very contextual. And if someone sincerely, if they feel like if if I were to, you know, to say something or do something, like, will it make it worse? Allah knows the sincerity of the intention. And sometimes less is more. Sometimes um, more good at times can come out of choosing to refrain. So a lot of it is contextual, but there are times when not doing something may actually be a better a better decision potentially so it's not you're not it's not always like doom and gloom if there's an issue and you don't do anything oh my god then are there some situations that may be like that potentially but there are other situations where it, it may be better like to not uh, do or say something so it just depends and uh, like god help us Anything you say to something, mm-hmm. you know but then again, too, it's like that. Uh, I don't know. I'll be so, I'll be so out there with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, you know, it's one thing that try not to be hypocritical too. Not the monotonous kind, but mm-hmm. not to be hypocritical when you do approach somebody. And uh, like another thing is, like you said, it's based on your, your relationship because mm-hmm. it's. What position am I in to tell this person something? Mm-hmm. Um, how would I be perceived? Is it worth, uh, you know, creating that kind of divide, or is it that important for me to tell them? Like, you know what I'm saying, like, crap, you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, and if it is, you, know if you can't really talk to your partner. Well, I don't know if it's your friend or not, but if you can't talk to your friend, <clears throat> a lot of times you know you have, you have a lot of trepidation about going to a situation, and then. You go through it and be like, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're much more uh, receptive to what it is that you have to say. Mm-hmm. And some people, it's like talking to a wall. Some people, they're a little bit more aggressive than a wall. So it's like, you know, um, pick your poison. Yeah, pick your poison. And then, like, I don't know, I try to, uh, before I give critique, at least in my limited understanding, to have like a grasp on what it is I'm going to say. And then um, beyond that, making sure that, uh, like you say, I'm as delicate with it as possible. I ain't trying to, you know, mm-hmm. mess nobody's world up or nothing like that, or make it seem like I'm shake levitate. Sometimes sharing your own. Yeah experiences of how you learn something or like your flaws on something mm-hmm. makes the person feel more connected to you too and also like uh it just shows us 
they're not alone in how they made the mistake or what mm -hmm. they did. People are more receptive. Being humble. Being what? Being humble. Being humble. Yeah, right. In your approach. Then right off the bat, the person's not going to be receptive to right. what you have to say. But if you do approach them humbly and gently, then uh, there would be for sure a higher likelihood. And I hate to continue saying it, but so much of it is just really contextual. Yeah. And there's a time and a place for different approaches with different people. Um, and the prophet embodied that. Like if, if different people had the same question asking the prophet for advice, he gave them different answers based on their circumstances. Uh, another example, one time there was a Sahabi, I forget if it was Abdullah ibn Abbas or Abdullah ibn Umar, I don't remember. But one of the scholarly companions had a halaqa, had a, a class basically, a circle, and someone, um, they came and they asked them, you know, can, can someone be forgiven for murder? And he said yes, and they left. And then within the same gathering, short time later, another person, they come and they ask the same exact question. Can someone be forgiven for murder? He said no, and the person left. So for those who were there, asked him, same exact question, two different people, you gave opposite answers. And he said, because when, when the first man came to me, I saw regret in his eyes and in his face. So when he was asking, can someone be forgiven for murder? I said, yes, because my reading of the situation was that they wanted to repent. They wanted to fix things. They wanted to go in the right direction. So that's why I said, yes. The other person, when they came, they had anger in their eyes and their face. So they're asking because they want to hear, yes, you can be forgiven so they can justify going. And so to save a life, based on the intention of the same exact question, but very different intention, he said no. And so hopefully that person, you know, actually lives in accordance with that be because of the context of the person asking, right? So there, there's so much that it, it depends on who's asking, why are they asking, what's their situation? Um, is there a time and a place for offering advice? I'll give an example. Let's say someone, they open up to their friend and they say, hey, I lost my temper today and I hit one of my kids really hard. How's that friend gonna respond? If they're a good friend, they're probably gonna respond and say, hey man, like, I know you wouldn't usually do that, but you know you gotta apologize to your kid and you gotta fix it. You know you can't do that again, right? That advice would apply in that situation, right? And then if if the, the, the response is, oh, don't judge me, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> No, <laughs> that that is outside of an acceptable scope of maybe using that, right? That person, the intention behind using it is, I just want to justify my mistake. I don't want to fix it. So I messed up. Then a good friend would respond and say, like, sometimes it can it can help to respond with a question as opposed to a statement. So maybe with the question, you know, have you thought about how to maybe fix that? As opposed to telling them, fix it like this, maybe you ask them and they say, well, you know, I should probably go home and apologize and I should do this and, and tell them I won't do it again and whatever, just to get them thinking in that way, that would be perfectly acceptable. And this concept of like encouraging what's right, discouraging what's wrong, basically ties in with being a, a decent human being and a decent citizen. So if, if someone 
if someone you know snatches old lady's purse on the subway and you're like hey man you know what are you doing and you're like right there if the thief says don't judge me <laughs> it's like, no that, that's completely unacceptable right um so they're they're just there's so many examples and a lot of it boils down to okay will if i want to say something if i don't know how to say it chances are it's better to not say anything but if someone's familiar with it and they feel like okay they know the person they're familiar with the situation maybe they can kind of approach it delicately with wisdom such that the with uh, Sayyidina Hassan Hussein the achieved outcome was how can this elderly gentleman you know learn how to make do properly they did it in a way that didn't destroy the man right he actually appreciated it so um, how to go about things is uh, important so God help us my love give all of us wisdom and knowledge and help us to understand things as best we can and and try to navigate things with as much compassion as we can and help us to do the right thing as best we can okay we're on page 26. Okay. any other thoughts before we continue or should we move on okay uh, page 26, the black and the white dots. The acceptance of fitna, misguided beliefs and actions, leaves a black mark on our hearts. Let's, let's ask ourselves this question. Are our hearts dear to us or the clothes we own? When we buy expensive, excuse me, when we buy expensive clothes, we don't allow them to stain so easily. A stain is hard to remove and it steals the beauty of the fabric. It is easier to preserve the fabric in its pristine condition than to try to restore it. And even when this and even when the stain is removed, it often leaves a trace behind. Similarly, avoiding sin and its corrupting effects on, on the mind, body, and soul is easier than trying to escape its addictive clutches and repairing the, dam the damage it creates. Damage that reaches beyond the individual and into the family and community. The more highly we value our hearts and ourselves, the less likely that we will allow fitna into our lives. But maybe we think that this black dot cannot do much damage after all. Maybe we can live with one or a few black dots in our lives, right? The problem with this line of thinking is that it ignores the nature of the heart and the nature of the fitna that do not cease to come our way. First, it is easier to allow a second stain if there is a first, and even easier to allow a third if there are two. Stains devalue the fabric and we become desensitized to sin as more of it comes into our lives. Each sin attracts another and the two open the door for many more to come. Some religious scholars share the following wise saying, the sin says, and my sister, my sister, and the virtuous act says, and my sister, my sister. Fitna is like a ring in a chain or a piece of rope tied on its other end to another rope. When we hold on to a single sin or fitna and pull it closer to us, we are bringing the next, fit, the next fitna in line closer as well. Second, sin weakens the resolve of the heart and attacks its health, much like an infection or disease saps the energy and health of the body. Each stain means that the heart is less healthy, less strong, and less alive. How can a heart have the strength to fight and win the next battle when it has chosen to lose in the first? when it is already weak and burdened with sin. And there is a third problem. The accumulation of sin deprives the heart of the ability to recognize right from wrong and the desire to follow guidance from Allah. When the heart rejects the fitna, however, a white dot is deposited inside 
This happens because this rejection is an act of iman, motivated by reverence of Allah and the desire for him, and not shaitan, to be the ruler of our heart. One rejects the fitna because their love for Allah is stronger than any pressure or temptation. When we make this choice, our hearts find comfort and peace in iman, and our knowledge of the truth and commitment, commitment to it solidifies. Our refusal of the fitna could be motivated by either general or specific evidence against it. For instance, when we receive whispers from shaitan, we may immediately know their source. Seek Allah's refuge from shaitan and promptly stop thinking about shaitan's inspiration. We understand in this case that these whispers are against Islam and what Allah loves. So we avoid them, even though we may not have a specific and clear answer to them. And as long as this type of response is doing its job of protecting our iman and heart, it is sufficient. At other times, however, we need to repel the confusion of shaitan by learning the specific evidence slash argument to refute his whispers, e.g. learning the proofs of Allah's existence. This is why enhancing our Islamic knowledge is one of the strongest safeguards against the corruption of the heart. Any, any thoughts on that section? Mm-hmm. The imagery I got was like, oh my god, I'm just my brother. But then I thought, <laughs> subhanAllah, sisters, I feel like, I don't have a sister, but like, how, I feel like girls are so close to each other. So I feel like when you do a sin, the next sin that's like so close to it just like follows along. You know what I mean? That That's the imagery I got. So I think it is a very powerful statement. Like, when you do this sin, it opens the door for this sin. Like, they're like related. They're like, mm-hmm. joined like one thing can lead to another. Yeah, but like yeah. so instantly. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you start, you know, smoking, you're instantly going to get start getting into, like, bad crowds. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you can't separate them. So, And if someone wants to try to quit smoking, then step one is to try to hang out with people who don't smoke. Yeah. Because then you're naturally around it less, and you're at least going in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah, the virtues. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, you're doing a good thing. So many things, like, are joined at the hip of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like this part here where it says, when we hold on to a single sin or fitna and pull it closer to us, we are bringing the next fitna and mind closer. Mm-hmm. So it has, it seems like it has more to do with self-awareness and trying to prevent a mistake from turning into a habit, if that makes sense. Like if it happens once, if someone slips and then if they, there's a mess, right? And they clean it up or they slip and have some sugar. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to, whatever, make sure to go to the gym or exercise or whatever it may be. So how to, there's a difference between, and again, it's, it's not a justification. It has to do with the overall attitude. There's a difference between something occurring once. They're trying to avoid it. It occurs once and then they try to fix it as opposed to justifying it. And then one turns into two, three, four, five. So I think it, it also has to do with how to try to prevent it from turning into a habit or turning into a consistent pattern. What was what was I doing before that? What was I doing the day before? What was um, what led up to it? What are the root causes? And then how can that be addressed? As opposed to only focusing on the branches, for example. I actually underlined the first line. I've underlined like since this whole lecture series started. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book series. I don't know what you're calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's on page 27 where it says, one rejects the fitna 
because their love for Allah is stronger than any pressure or temptation. And that, you know, fitna is whether it's um, the, the shibuhat or shahawat. Mm -hmm. And um, I think even that can go back to the example of wheat, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's haram or makruh, I think, you know, makruh is disliked by Allah. Mm -hmm. So whether it's haram because it's not, ver you know, it's, it's not verbatim, right? It doesn't say wheat in the Quran. So if it's makruh and disliked by Allah, or it falls into either one of those, so you know automatically that this is disliked by Allah. Mm -hmm. So you should, this is my favorite line. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that has a lot to do with ihsan, right? Trying your best for Allah. Um, someone may leave what's permissible for fear of falling into something disliked, for fear of falling into something forbidden. So it may um, be safer, even if there are two. For example, now Aisha is a bit late, so someone may ask a friend, hey, uh, you know, you want to go, I don't know, grab something to eat or drink or come over, whatever. And let's say, you know, that when they hang out, it's probably going to go to like two in the morning. And if they, and it's perfectly permissible. And let's say there's no bad conversation. They're not going to smoke. They're not going to drink. Everything is going to be halal and pure through and through in terms of the food and the, the discussion. And wherever they go, they're going to make sure to pray Aisha on time, uh, whether it be a parking lot or at their house or whatever. But if they know that, okay, even if this is not just acceptable, but there are good elements involved, but if they know that going out till 2 a.m. means they're going to miss Fajr the next morning, then they may refrain from something permissible because of the bigger picture, because how is this going to affect, you know, what comes after? Uh, so they may politely decline um, and, you know, offer us uh, an alternative, you know, maybe tomorrow, you know, can we hang up? Before Aisha, maybe between Maghrib and Aisha, or earlier in the day on the weekend, or what have you, because of their the 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 concept of their love for Allah, and because they so it's not just Fajr the alarm clock goes off. What's the bigger picture? Um, and someone may try to push themselves to do like when you think about praying Sunnah, it's it's pure extra credit. But if someone is really consistent with with praying sunnah, with praying nefil, with praying wit, with then when there's like when things get insanely busy in life, or maybe there's a squeeze, if their prayers are reduced in number, then it would go from fard and sunnah, like for that period of time, say a week, it's just insane. They have a 80 hour work week and they have a newborn and they even if they want to, they can't, just pure circumstances. So for them, what what ends up happening, the first thing to go would be the sunnah, but the fard would remain. But for example, if there's only fard and there isn't the sunnah, then what may go may be some of their fard. So it's kind of like a shield, right? And there are different layers and different levels. So by having extra good habits, when times get tough, that yes, they'll shrink, but the number that remains will still be greater than if before that they didn't have as many good habits, uh, if that makes sense. We're all in this together, so <laughs> God help us all with anything and everything. Go ahead. Um, so the, the one thing that caught my eye um, was at the top of 27, when it, when it said, how can a heart have the to fight and win the next battle when it's just chosen to lose in the first, when it's already 
was already deconverted to send. And actually, it just it reminds me so much of like the like the what I mean. It, it confirms or it is confirmed. I don't know, what, but like the you know the the knowledge of that we have today of like addiction battles, where it's like the. Oh, the Instagram. Um, yeah, the the <laughs> again. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I pushed the wrong because there's the the play thing. Okay. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can now now I know which button to push. <laughs> Okay. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. Sorry. So it's like the, the battle with addiction like starts with that first, like the first time you do it is mm -hmm. when it starts to go downhill because then, like, like, like you said, like the heart has chosen to do this once, and now, the, now it's gotten the taste for it. And whether or not you've been, you, whether or not it's addictive to you from the first moment, whether it's an actual addictive drug or an action that is addictive, like gambling or pornography or whatever. Like, like, there's now, you've done it once, right? And it's like the, the mind, the body are now, now it's fighting about to not do something again. And it's like your strongest, your strongest when you've never done the action, right? So once, mm -hmm. once, you, once you've done it, now it's, a, now it's an uphill battle. They say like that, the addicts, um, they never stop being addicted to something. Like, you know, it's just, even if they're 10 It's like years, a disease. Even if they're yeah. 10 years sober from whatever it is, mm -hmm. they're, st they're still addicts. They're just, they're maintaining their distance from whatever it is. And it just brings me back to, um, like, the opportunity that we have coming up with, um, with uh, Arafa, and then next month, Muhammad, mm -hmm. where we have, like, the opportunity to, to clean three years of sins and to strengthen the heart. So it's just... Because like in Arafa, you have the forgiveness for the year before and the year after. So next year and the year before, not this year. But then Muharram is the start of next year. And you have the opportunity for forgiveness for the year before, which mm -hmm. is this year. So it's like weird, but like you have three years. It's like you have Arafa, which is a year before. backwards and a year into the future. Yeah. And then a month later, you have Muharram, which is a year backwards. But that one, that's a, that's a good point. Because Muharram is the the, is the next year, so month it's twelve, the year and then after. Muharram, so you're going back right. to this present year, right? Um, so you have the opportunity for three years of consecutive years for Allah to clean you of three years of like worth of mistakes, yeah. Um, so so basically the so Arafah, yeah. So so Arafah is on Friday. So if you fast that day. So think of that day as like, uh, like a, 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 a mark. So, or I mean, in if you were to use the analogy of the Gregorian calendar, it would be like December 9th, the twelfth month, the ninth day. So it's that day. So you take that day, one year before is forgiven, and one year into the future is forgiven. So it's it's two years of of mistakes, right? So if you were to do the simple calculation between December 9th, going back to the December 9th of the year before, and then also into the next year. 
right? So it's one year before and one year after. Now, a month later, you have the day of Ashura, which is the 10th of Muharram. If you pass that one day, then your sins are forgiven from the previous year, which technically would fall into that same window of Arafah. But our scholars have given, have given a good example that sometimes a garment may need to be washed more than once for it to be entirely clean. Right, so some 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 stains they come out as kind of like a simple, like a right for for laundry. You do a quick cycle. Hopefully things are going to be fine. But if it's a more serious stain or a more serious sin, then it may need it may need more treatment or more attention. So sometimes it needs a second wash, and hopefully that does the trick. If there's still more that needs to be done, then uh, it's actually interesting how many opportunities are embedded multiple times a day and night. To just be forgiven over and over and over and over and over. And it came up last week that should result in humility. So if someone, if they're constantly seeking Allah's forgiveness by five daily prayers, right? The Prophet gave the example that the five daily prayers is like if you have a river outside of your home and you bathe in it five times a day at the end of the day, he asked the companions, would, would anyone have any dirt on them? And they said, no, of course not. He said, that's like the five daily prayers. So on a daily basis, there's there's that opportunity on a weekly basis you have Jum'ah plus a couple of days after on an annual basis you have Ramadan you also have Arafah you have Hajj in a lifetime some people go for Hajj multiple times like there are so many opportunities giving sadaqah right give charity for it stands in the way of calamity give charity because it extinguishes Allah's anger like water extinguishes fire there's so many uh, Quran you get 10 good deeds for every letter that you read or that you listen to or, like there's so many opportunities, so what should happen within that person, if they're going about it sincerely, then it should to them. And if they trust them and they open up and they say, hey, I've been struggling with nicotine addiction, for example, right? Like, do you have any advice for me? Or like, how, how can I stop? What am I supposed to do? I want God to forgive me. I want to quit. And I sincerely ask God for forgiveness. And then a couple hours later, I'm right back at it again. So what does this mean? Does this mean God will never forgive me again? Does this mean that I'm going to hell? Does it? Which it doesn't, but the point is what should happen, the response from that person should be one of humility, should be encouragement, should be uplifting, should be, hey, let's try again. You know, how do you think things can... And if they open up and if they say like, well, probably because I keep going to this environment and that environment, okay, do you have any alternative ideas? Oh, Maybe this, maybe that. So usually there's a discussion that comes with it, but um, it's all good. I mean, if someone, again, someone they may have, whether it's diabetes or they may have certain health issues, they still get the full reward because of their intention. And like intention is so sacred um, in our deen. It like, it really, really makes a difference. A sincere intention can um, make a huge difference. Inshallah. So go ahead. Are there any specific, I can't remember if there's any specific du'as in connection with Arafah? Yeah. Very good question. So like Laylatul Qadr, there's a specific du'a, Allahumma inaka afun tuhabbul afu fa'afu anni. Allah, you're most forgiving, you love to forgive, so forgive me, so pardon me. Um, in connection with Arafah specifically, uh, not to my understanding, but actually it's, it's, um, almost like a double opportunity in a way because it is the day of Arafah. So it's good to do any good deeds. It's good to, um, you know, just try to take advantage of that day. Plus it's a Friday and on Friday every week after Asr, you know, it's really good to make du'a 
so if it's also Arafah during that time, then uh, I don't know of a specific du'a. If, if you find one or if anyone does, then feel free to share. Uh, but I don't know of a specific one per se. Um, there were some du'as on, on Instagram in connection with Arafah specifically. Okay, so feel free to share. Could be worth checking it out. Yeah. But in, in specific connection, like the Laylatul Qadr du'a, I don't know. But may Allah accept all of our du'as, inshallah. We can go ahead and, and wrap up, uh, go for Maghrib, and then this room will be open afterwards if anyone wants to come and hang out, have anything to eat or drink. So. The, the, the sugar is monk fruit sugar. So if is what? Monk fruit sugar. Oh, yeah. So it's like sugar Did you say sugar. monk fruit? Yeah. So it's like zero calories. So it's like, like sugar free sugar? Natural. What did you put in? Did you make tea? I made chai. Okay, so we have chai. Mashallah. Okay. Awesome. And then if, if you want, I can bring the kettle from my office and I have herbal tea. If anyone is interested, uh, you can get that after Madrid. Yeah. Wouldn't you have an addiction to something like caffeine? Mm -hmm. Like tea or coffee? Mm -hmm. Like something permissible? What? Sorry? Wouldn't you have like an addiction? Okay, so what what if it's an addiction, but so like tea or coffee in and of itself is not necessarily Islamically forbidden, but what if someone has an addiction to it? Is that what you're asking? Like, are they sinful? Or is it like how, how to deal with it? Yes. <laughs> that, that That is a discussion. <laughs> yeah, it'll make it easy. Uh, so let, let's go ahead and, and wrap up and then if we want to continue afterwards then um, then we can give it a shot inshallah uh, so again we will not be meeting next week the 12th we'll aim to resume the following Tuesday inshallah uh, how did the tables work out were the tables okay okay so we can have them set up next time okay no that, that makes sense I mean now that you mention it it's, uh, it's a good idea so we can have that as part of the setup inshallah Okay, so we can. Yeah, I'll take a look. Okay, so Subhanahu wa rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala mursilin. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Jazakum khair.